What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome, everyone, on this December 23rd, Christmas Eve. Just is tomorrow, and of course, Christmas Day on Tuesday. So uh, the countdown has begun 48 hours until Christmas. We wish everyone a Merry Christmas, uh, all of our listeners. Uh, we always appreciate your support of BAMS Radio. Uh, and uh, if permitted, hopefully we'll be able to bring you uh, a uh, one last, uh, you know, or a wrap-up show of the college football playoff semifinal and hopefully Alabama moving on next weekend uh, on Sunday after they play the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, but uh, we look forward to that as well. We're going to try. There's going to be some logistics issues. We're certainly going to put our best foot forward. Uh, but uh, we uh, are happy to come, be with you tonight. I'm, of course, in Gunnersville, Alabama with family, William Redfish Barger. Also on the road, uh, seeing family for the holidays, and Thomas Watts, of course, from the port city of Mobile. He's the wizard behind the curtain. And also, uh, you know, uh, the uh, producer of this show and co-host. Uh, but first of all, uh, to Thomas, uh, Merry Christmas to you, sir. Welcome. I know this is a little later than we usually bring a, start this recording, but we always we wanted to wrap up recruiting, which was a very interesting, uh, you know, last uh, 24 to 48 hours before they put pen to paper. Well, Drew, it certainly was kind of wild, and you know, I, I'll be I'll be a crazy Alabama fan in that I definitely sent you a text message, being seeing some of the discussion around recruiting, asking you how do you deal with some of this? Cause his man, I, I, I had a moment of clarity where I was just like, I refuse to get bent out of shape about where an 18 year old kid's going to go to school. But watching some of that discussion, whoo, it was stressful. But then Wednesday came around and astonishingly, and I wish I tweeted this from the BAMS radio account. Like our, like William says, the angry little man was in his office putting in work. And, uh, here we have it. Well, and of course, our third amigo is with us, of course, from from uh, 88 to 93, a key part of the University of Alabama Crimson Tide. He was part of the 1992 National Championship team. Uh, he's been a noted insider and close to the program since that period of time. Uh, of course, he was an All-American at John Carroll Catholic High School before going on to Alabama. And that is our good compatriot, William Redfish Barger. William, good evening. How are you? Doing good, Drew. It's, it's funny, before you jumped on, Thomas was, you know, kind of lamenting the the the, the angst that spilled out prior to, uh, you know, I guess midday on National Signing Day, which was last Wednesday. And I didn't get a chance to tell him. He, I think he thought that it all stopped uh, uh, there. But, you know, <laughs> what, what even cracked me up even more than the buildup to it is, is Thomas, you know, now that it's all over with, you get the uh, – you know, the, the made-up fairy tales that people like to get on these message boards and tell, well, you know, so-and-so didn't sign with Alabama because School X did this or Coach Y did that. And I'm like, where, where, where do y'all get this shit from? I mean, you know, it's, it's it, I wish it was as dark and sinister as, you know, people make it out, but it's, it's really not. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. Recruiting is a dirty business, you know, 
Um, you know, if you've got a uh, really, you know, high moral compass, it's probably not something that you even want to follow to begin with. But, you know, it's, it's just amazing the, the, the people that get pissed off and bent out of shape. And, you know, they, they just don't realize in most cases, you know, Coach Saban's got three other guys at the same position lined up you know, begging to take, you know, player X's spot. So it's it's really not anything to worry about. Um, you know, like we talked about last weekend, you know, there were two – the only two players that I really gave a rat's ass about that's, you know, signed on the dotted line Wednesday did. Um, you know, that was the, the elite defensive end from Atlanta, Georgia, Justin Abogier, and the five-star offensive tackle from IMG, Evan Neal. So everything after that was gravy to me. I've got no complaints whatsoever. Um, thank God there'll be a little bit of a, a quiet period now until after the national championship game. And it'll get all cranked back up again with the three-and-a-half to four-week final run to the, you know, the final national signing day, the first Wednesday in, in February. Yeah, and, I mean, it did get a little hairy there, especially with Justin and Bogue being the last 24 hours. There's a lot of rumors flying around and mostly involving Tennessee. And Tennessee made a, a, a big final push. And Jeremy Pruitt's an outstanding recruiter and evaluator. And uh, Justin Ibogbe, we've all talked about him. He's he's completely underrated. I mean, there's guys always uh, that we, we go back and you look at the quote-unquote star ratings and we un- we don't really understand how they flew under the radar. But Bogby comes from Forest Park High School in Georgia. Not a very good league, and his program's not very good. But I'll throw a couple of names out there. of uh, One, an all-time Bama great uh, who didn't get a chance to finish his career the way he wanted to, went on to the NFL and uh, had a solid few seasons. That's Bobby Humphrey. I think Glenn High School in Birmingham was 0-10 when Bobby was a senior. And then one of the greats of all time did not go to the University of Alabama, was recruited by Alabama as a defensive back, but his only offer as a running back was from San Diego State, and that's, of course, New Orleans' own Marshall Falk, who was on an 0-10 team as well. So you can't. sometimes you just have to – that's why a kid maybe goes under the radar because, you know, he didn't play in a great uh, program or for a great le- in a great league. But Justin Abogby, I think, is a five-star talent, and I thought having him sign on the dotted line on Wednesday was huge for Alabama because they got him and Antonio Alfano in, and it, and it offset a couple of disappointments. One, N'Kobe Dean, the middle linebacker from Horn Lake, Mississippi, who decided to roll with Kirby Freeze, I mean smart, and sign with the uh, Georgia Bulldogs. And certainly Georgia's got a pretty stacked middle linebacker room, but obviously uh, N'Kobe Dean believes in his talent and decided to go to Georgia. And then Alabama lost what I thought what could have been the best player in the class, Daxton Hill, as he flips back to Michigan and instead of waiting to sign, signs early with the Wolverines. So that was a couple of disappointments, but keeping Justin Abogby in the fold, closing the deal with Trey Sanders. Of course, there was a lot of talk of Georgia with Trey Sanders over the last week. He ended up signing with Alabama, which I thought was huge. And like Williams said, getting the signature of Evan Neal, who was the most important offensive prospect left on the board, and maybe the entire board, uh, as he's six foot seven, 360 pounds, and a guy that uh, I liked what he said when he signed and committed to Alabama on TV. He said, if you want to be the best, you got to compete with the best. And that's playing at Alabama. And so I thought Alabama met just about all their needs. Uh, certainly there was a couple of misses. But it may not be a historic class. Of course, it could be a couple of years from now. I'm just saying on paper right now. Uh, but it can still be 
uh, what the, easily the best class in the country and a great, great class if Alabama finishes out with the five or six guys uh, they want in the late signing period, which, and that's what we call it now in February, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But certainly, uh, early signing day, Alabama had the number one class in the country and should have. A lot of good work, William, put in by the new coaches on the staff. Yeah, and you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't throw this in there. You were talking about a couple of guys that came from uh, bad high school football programs. Right. Uh, there was a guy that graduated from John Carroll five years before I got there named Trace Armstrong. Oh, yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Alabama and Auburn didn't want him. Um, he was, you know, too small. Uh, went to Arizona State for his first three years, got ruled academically ineligible to play in the Pac-10 his senior year, transferred to Florida. I uh, wanted to come to Alabama, but Bill Curry screwed the pooch on that again. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, played in the NFL for 15 years, made the Pro Bowl a bunch of times, and is now one of the top sports agents in the world. But from the time he left John Carroll, um, you know, I, I know for a fact when I started as a freshman, they hadn't won a game in two seasons. We didn't win a game until the third game of my junior year. Um, had the longest losing streak in the country mm-hmm. um, until we beat the Pension Valley Indians in the third game of my junior year. In fact, Re- 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 Mayor Richard Arrington at the time gave us a holiday off from school <laughs> um, wow. for ending that losing streak. But, uh, you know, they 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 found the, the you know they found Trace Armstrong and they found me amidst a, a 42 game losing streak. So you know if you're good enough, they're going to find you at some point in time wherever you're at. Yeah, and he had a heck of a pro career too, Trace Armstrong. You know he went on to uh, was a great player and, and when he was when he transferred to Florida and then went on to an outstanding pro career as well. And uh, that's and that's another great uh, recruiting story there of a guy that got overlooked but ended up still being a great player. And as you said, you know if you're good enough. They will find you, but certainly this class was good enough. Alabama getting both the quarterbacks in uh, to enroll early. Uh, Talia Tungavailoa, though, uh, we strongly believe he may end up having to have shoulder surgery following an injured shoulder in the playoffs against the Hoover Bucks, and then Paul Tyson. Uh, Paul Tyson in the house as well, and then they get Trey Sanders in. There's There's been some debate on whether Trey will come in in July or whether he's going to try to make it in in February, you know, at the you know right before the end of early enrollment, uh, you can enroll late and still uh, be uh, you know on the field. We'll see where that goes, but uh, certainly Trey Sanders uh, was a big get. And and William, another guy that I really liked that I thought was underrated. I, you know, I was asked after the dust settled in the early signing period for Alabama who the who my underrated guys were, and uh, the three guys that I really focused on. One of them on offense was Jaleel Billingsley, the H-back tight end from Chicago. He, he committed a long time ago, basically during the summer. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot said about him, uh, but he can really run, and I think he's a guy, once he'll, he red shirts and puts on weight and develops, he could be good in the, in the future. But I, I, I really like Jaleel Billingsley. I think he's underrated. No, I agree with you. I mean, if you look at his testing numbers, I think he's got a chance to be another Irv Smith. Like you said, he really can run. Um, you know, comes from from the you know the inner city Chicago league that's always played really good football. And um, you know, I think that uh, he'll be a nice weapon, like you said. And again, I mean, he could he could be physically ready to play. Um, you know, by August. You know, depending on how well he does. 
um, you know, in the off-season program. And we've seen guys put on 25 to, you know, 40 pounds in eight months once they, uh, you know, get in there with Scott Cockard in the weight room and start getting all those good calories dumped down their throat. But I, I think he's a, a very underrated guy that's got a ton of upside. And, you know, Thomas and I were talking about N'Kobe Dean, who I think is at the opposite end of that spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, before you jumped on, Drew, and you know, I, again, I, I think I talked about this last Sunday. Um, you know, I just didn't really care one way or the other. I mean, I wanted I wanted Alabama to get in just so I could troll the Georgia fans about him. But you know, I just I continue to believe that you know this is a guy. If you look at his testing numbers, uh, that he may be at his ceiling as a player right now at some point in time. You know, being 5'11 and 215, obviously he's going to put on some weight. But, you know, running a 4'7", 5'40", is going to catch up with you from an athleticism standpoint, you know, at some point in time when you're asked to cover a running back out of the backfield on a wheel route um, that runs a 4'5", 40. That's just something you can't overcome. So, you know, and again, you look at a a comparison, um, you know, to the hammerhead up there in Baltimore, um, you know, at St. Francis, Shane Lee, you know, mm-hmm. he's taller, 35 pounds bigger and runs the same time right now. So, you know, he's already physically ready to play. He's just got to get the, uh, you know, the playbook down. And, and again, we've talked about, uh, you know, our, our boy Henry T out there on the left coast ad nauseum. You know, he's six foot two, 230 and runs a four five. So, you know, I, I'd rather have those guys. Um, you know, that, that have a lot of upside, that have the, the athleticism that you can, you know, build around. And I'm not saying that N'Kobe Dean's not going to be a good player. He very well could be, but he is going to be limited athletically. Yeah, he is. And uh, Shane Lee is very similar to him. And as you said, a little bit bigger, maybe a little faster. And I thought Shane uh, looked good last night on uh, the, uh, the uh, made-for-TV game, uh, the Champions Challenge, uh, where they took, a ball to, of course, St. Francis out of – Baltimore, they were nine and zero. They had had to play. They got kicked out of their conference. They were so dominant. So, but they were they gave them a chance to play against the six A Georgia State champion in in Lee County High School on Lee County's home field. And just like a year ago, when they mud holed the Utah State champion, St. Francis mud holed Lee County. They gave up fourteen points and had only given up eighteen in nine games up to that point. Uh, but they were completely dominant, and you got a chance to see. Uh, Braswell, the young junior that's committed to Alabama, also Shane Lee, and also Darian Dalcourt, William. And Darian Dalcourt at center was very impressive. Uh, he was They called his name many times throughout the uh, game, and they rushed for nearly 400 yards on Lee County. So I think Darian Dalcourt, uh, if you want to talk about another underrated offensive recruit for the University of Alabama, uh, a lot of people, you know, there was angst over Clay Webb going to Georgia but I know Mike Loxley, before he left the University of Alabama, before he does leave following this playoff run, was very high on Darian Dalcourt and thinks he has more long-term potential than Clay Webb. Well, I mean, you know, he's he's got better measurables. He's longer. Um, you know, he's got a chance to fill out and, uh, you know, add good weight. And I think Tanner Bowles is another one, um, you know, that I know the staff is very high on. Probably can play multiple positions. We'll see where he ends up. It's probably going to be an offensive guard, but um, yeah, I'm really high on this uh, Alabama offensive line class, especially mm-hmm. with the addition of Evan Neal. Um, you know, this this kid, when you when you consider that you know what he did this year as a high school senior, uh, at basically six foot eight, three hundred and seventy pounds, and you know at three seventy, people don't realize, you know, when you're that tall, three seventy really isn't 
um, a lot of bad weight. I mean, if they peeled him down to even 350, he's probably going to look skinny. Uh, but, but I just think there's a lot of really good players in this class. Um, you know, let's don't forget for you know the people that are lamenting the the loss of Clay Webb. You know, outside of Dalcourt, you know, they signed a guy last year in Emil Ecor that mm-hmm. uh, you know they feel like has a chance to factor in at the center position uh, going forward as well. So you know that wasn't a you know certainly on paper the perception the people that pay attention to the perception uh, which I personally don't buy into or give two shits about. You know, people talked about that last year. Uh, when Justin Ross left the state and went to Clemson, and, and I will be happy to debate them, you know, till hell freezes over. Y'all can have Justin Ross all day and every day on Sunday. I'm taking the midget Jalen Waddle over him every damn time because guess what? Six uh, four uh, that runs a four seven forty can't do the same kind of damage that five foot nine and runs a four three can. Yeah, that's a great point and. Uh, certainly, this offensive line class is very good. It's centered Darian Dalcourt. Uh, you could say, arguably, the two guards being Tanner Bowles and Pierce Quick. Pierce Quick already enrolling early. Tanner Bowles, I think, is slated to do the same thing. Uh, and then you've got uh, the two tackles, Evan Neal and Amari Kite. And Amari Kite kind of gets overshadowed, too, William, uh, from Thompson High School because of Evan Neal being a five-star guy and someone Alabama's focused on for a long time. But uh, he's another one that I think has – Really good uh, ability. I think he had a solid week at the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game. And I, <laughs> and I think he can develop into maybe the right tackle of the future for Alabama. No, and I, you know, and I think, you know, he's probably got a little bit more work from a physical standpoint today than Evan Neal does. Um, you know, he's got the frame and the body, uh, but, you know, needs some work in the weight room. He needs to, you know, reshape his body. Um, you know, probably needs to work on, you know, playing a little bit more pissed off and with a mean streak. and uh, But certainly the, the physical abilities are there. Um, you know, I wouldn't even rule out him having a chance to be a left tackle once he reshapes his body. But, um, you know, I think when you look overall at this class, they got two legit SEC caliber tackles and Neal and, uh, and Kite, and then they got three, you know, interior guys that all three of them could probably play all three of the interior line positions, I think they've got that kind of athletic ability and versatility. Um, <clears throat> you know, certainly I think the, you know, the guy that's got the, the best mean streak of them all is Pierce Quick. I've talked to some people that, um, you know, had sons that played against them this year in Birmingham, and, and they raved about, you know, just how strong and nasty he was. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, once he gets to operate in a phone booth playing inside at the next level you know, how that tenacity and that mean streak will carry over for him once he gets to the next level. Certainly uh, getting to participate in bowl practice against that Alabama front seven will uh, only, you know, help the acceleration of his development. Uh, certainly. Uh, I completely agree there. And uh, and it's an outstanding offensive line class that touched on each position. I love the, uh, the intangibles Pierce Quick brings to the table. Uh, you know, uh, for Hewitt Trustville, a high-quality program, in certain games against high-quality opponents, he would play both ways and play nearly every snap of the game, both at defensive tackle uh, and D-end, and then, of course, of course at uh, offensive tackle for the Huskies. So I think he's got a lot of potential. I really like this group as a whole. And I got to tell you, I was so excited, uh, you know, when Justin Abogby, uh signed with Alabama officially because when you pair him with that freak Antonio Alfano, and now I do think Antonio is the best player in this class. I would have said he – 
and Dax Hill. Maybe Dax a little bit ahead of Antonio, but not by much. Antonio Alfano, we've already talked about the measurables he brings to the table, William, but uh, having those two guys potentially bookend each other on the defensive line is an exciting thought. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, the, the versatility that I think they'll both have, um, you know, by the time they're on the field, whether it's this fall or, or down the road, you know, I think they're both going to be in the, the 290 to 300 pound range. I think they'll have the versatility to, you know, be those anchors at the five technique defensive ends positions. But, you know, they'll, they'll also be able to slide inside, um, you know, maybe in the rabbit package and obvious pass rush situations and then play inside. Uh, provide some elite pass rushing skills from the interior of the defensive line. And, I, you know, I continue to say, um, and I think that's kind of been one of the hallmarks of, you know, Nick Saban as an evaluator and a recruiter. Nobody does a better job in college football over the last decade of evaluating interior defensive line positions. Um, you know, there, there's been the Jadavion Clownies. You know, there's there's been the you know the Boza brothers out there at defensive end. You know, in four three schemes. But when you go back and you look at you know the guys that Nick Saban has brought in, going back to uh, Marcel Darius and then Ashawn Robinson. You know, Jaron Reed, Jonathan Allen, and then you know of course what's happened with uh, you know Quinnen Williams this season. Uh, you you got to throw in a Raekwon Davis there as well. I think he still has a chance, maybe not this year, but next year to be a first-round draft pick. Um, and, and then you look at what he's bringing in in this defensive line class, um, even beyond Alfano and Abogie. Um, you know, D.J. Dale um, has got a chance to be a Deron Payne-type nose guard slash three-technique de- defensive end player. Um, you know, hopefully the, the hammerhead from Mississippi, Byron Young, um, you know, will stick and sign on National Signing Day in February. He, he's a very, very um, dynamic player that I, I think has a chance to be an elite guy at the next level. And, of course, they're still, you know, chasing that dragon down there in the bayou, um, you know, looking to bring in who some people think is the number one defensive tackle in the country and Ishmael Softshire. So, um, you know, there's still something else to be had out there and a guy that they're still chasing and, you know, they're in very good shape for him, but, you know, it's always a struggle and a battle, um, you know, whether it's Cam Robinson or um, Landon Collins, you know, the list goes on and on with guys, you know, that they've tried to get out of that state and been successful. Um, but it's not like those guys down there at LSU or in, in the state of Louisiana just lays down in the middle of the road and lets you, you know, do it on your own free will. They put up a fight till the very end. Yeah, they do, and it'll be a battle. There's no question about that. And, uh, William, I know uh, you uh, that uh, one guy we didn't talk about that would be on my all-underrated signees along that defensive line, he's the one that kind of gets lost in the shovel. D.J. Dale certainly is one of those guys, but one that, you know, he was added a little bit later in the process, and at first nobody really understood Alabama's legit interest in him. He got more put down as, a, as a, maybe a guy that they had on the B list, but certainly that wasn't the case. Joe Panunzio closing the deal uh, when he was at St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, and he's a teammate of now safety signee Jordan Battle. But Braylon Ingraham is another one that I think is uh, an all-underrated guy. No, I agree. And, um, you know, he probably, after, the see, after seeing the picture of him sandwiched between uh, – <laughs> Uh, the, the, the former All-Pro uh, Jason Taylor, who's his D-line coach down there at St. Thomas Aquinas, and then Nick Saban on the other side. 
Um, he probably doesn't have the length that Alfano and Abogier has. Um, he's probably closer to 6'2", 6'3", than, than those other guys are. But, um, yeah, I think he's got a chance to be a special player as well. Um, you know, was hurt as a junior kind of in the same way that Dale did. I think both of them probably got dinged a little bit in the recruiting process, um, you know, in their evaluations because of that. But, um, you know, those – those are two high school programs in St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Francis up there on the East Coast, man, that I saw where somebody made the comment on the Internet um, the other day that watching St. Francis looked like a junior college team. I don't know what <laughs> JUCOs they've seen, but they're not the same ones that I've seen. Uh, but both of those schools, especially when you look at their players on the front seven on both sides of the defensive line and their linebacker positions, they look like D1 college teams to me. And uh, – but I think he's got a chance. You know, I don't think there's a miss um, in this D-line class. It's it's probably going to end up being, if they add softer to it, it'll probably be the greatest high school or, excuse me, college uh, defensive line recruiting class that I've ever seen pieced together. Uh, maybe there's been some back further than I can remember, maybe before people were keeping up with this stuff. But, you know, just unbelievable, not just with the quality, but also the quantity that they're bringing in. Yeah, that's what, that was going to be my next question. So you believe if they hold on to Byron Young and they get Ismail Sopcher, and I would have to, uh, you know, concur that this defensive line group is the best you've seen one school sign. Absolutely. Um, certainly in the last 10 years, um, just because there doesn't appear to be, you know, for, for a couple of different reasons. A, I think they got the majority of the targets that they really wanted, number one. Uh, number two, they're they're really bringing in some guys um, that, that can play multiple positions. You know, you, you don't see them bring in, you know, a Terrence Cody or a Brandon Ivory anymore that are just zero technique nose guards, and that's all they can do. I mean, these guys are, you know, in a five-yard box, are very explosive, very quick, uh, you know, very powerful Um you know, I think they're what you've seen Nick Saban do, you know, in the last five or six years since he shifted the emphasis on guys being able to run, you know, in short distances. All these guys are quick twitch, they're explosive, they're powerful. And, uh, you know, they're not, you know, just run situation, run stuffers. They're three down players that you don't have to substitute off the field um, and, and bring in a whole new lineup like you've seen in the, the not too distant past. So, I'm very excited about it. I think it's, you know, again, I don't think there's a better head coach in college football when his back's against the wall. And when you look at the depth situation and the possible early departures and, you know, graduations, you lose a guy like Bugs. Um, this was something that Nick Saban had to do. And, uh, you know, when he was, you know, had his back against the wall and had to pull it off, he did it, and he did it with flying colors. Yes, he did. And I think that's the strength of this class, the O-line and the D-line. Uh, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, they're uh, both classes have a chance to be the O line is finished, but because I don't think you're going to see Alabama go back in on Darnell Wright, I think he'll end up at Tennessee most most likely. But certainly the D line already signed in four, and with a chance to sign two more uh, in that late period, that would mean uh, you know that, that there'd be eleven signees along the line of scrimmage, and uh, Nick Saban continuing to build the program from the inside out. And that would be huge for Alabama, no doubt speaking about of, that. Uh, speaking of Tennessee, Drew, I know you had. I haven't talked to you since this happened, but I know right. you had to. Uh, 
uh, giggle a little bit deep down inside when my boy Jeremy Dale put it on your boy Kirby Freeze Friday and stole Aubrey Solomon at the 12th hour. Oh, that 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 was uh, a moment of to smile for me. Hopefully, it's a shot across the bow that uh, that Jeremy's going to be a pain in the ass for Kirby Smart because Rusty Mansell of 24/7 Sports and uh, Dogs 24/7 had pulled off the road according to a tweet and said, "Well, last year I had to update the recruiting class because in the Dab Joseph who cough cough couldn't spell in the Dab Joseph and is now in junior college." Because he had two transfers. Oh, no, he's not. Oh, no, he's not. He never enrolled. Not to be heard from again. Oh, well, that's what I'm trying to say. He never I tried, enrolled, Drew. I, I tried to tell everybody he had two transcripts, and the kid was never going to qualify, and that's why Alabama dropped him. But everybody said Kirby Freeze stole one from Nick Saban. Well, Kirby got played. And anyway, yep. he, he thought he was going to have to update it again. Of course, people were panicking about Trey Sanders. It was actually – because Georgia thought they were going to get Aubrey Sullivan. Uh, but as the great Lee Corso would say, not so fast, my friend. And Kirby Smart uh, <laughs> took one on the chin as Jeremy Pruitt got Aubrey Solomon. And if Jeremy Pruitt can finish this class out, especially with Darnell Wright, uh, you know, he, they, uh, and they also got Wanye Morris. And I don't think people play that up enough, William, that Wanye Morris from Grayson, Georgia, went to Tennessee instead of Georgia that could be a, a quite a haul. Jeremy Pruitt, I think, still has got a chance maybe to have a top 10 class. And I think there's going to be some coaching changes. Yeah, he has yet to name his OC. But certainly his first full recruiting class looks like it's going to be strong. No, absolutely. You know, they, uh, they added uh, uh, not just Aubrey Solomon last week, but also uh, Dabo Swinney took one on the chin from Jeremy Dale. They stole the uh, – who some people thought was a five-star running back. Some people thought he was a five-star athlete. I think it's pretty much been determined he's going to play linebacker at the next level. But he, he came in at the 12th hour and swiped uh, Quadarius Crouch from uh, from Dabo as well. So um, he, he's making some noise up there on Rocky Top. And, uh, you know, like you said, I mean, uh, a school that I think is going to be in trouble um, after next season, after the, the – the stud left tackle, Andrew Thomas, turns pro. Um, this will be the second straight uh, recruiting class that, quote-unquote, the greatest offensive line coach of all time, uh, Sam Pittman, has yet to sign, in my opinion, a guy that's a legit SEC caliber left tackle. So, um, yeah, it's, it's great when you sign a bunch of you know high school offensive tackles that have to move inside to play guard, you know, like Ben Cleveland's had to do. Um, like basically Cade Mays is, is, is doing um, for them. But, you know, if, if you keep doing that year after year, you're going to wake up one day and have nothing but a roster full of guards, and I mean uh, centers and guards. And uh, if they don't hit somebody big next year that can come in and play early, uh, which I think 2020 is going to kind of be the uh, the watershed mark for, for Fourth and Kirby anyway, I think you're still going to see some more fallout from this Justin Fields situation. You know, it's no secret that it cost them uh, the number one wide receiver in the country, Jalen Hazelwood, who's probably going to yep. end up at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, their, their top tight end prospect that they signed last year, Luke Ford, is wanting to transfer back home, or excuse me, back closer to home. Some people think he's going to end up at Illinois when the dust settles. Uh, D'Angelo Gibbs, who was a guy that Alabama went after early, um, you know, they, they celebrated that as a recruiting victory over Nick Saban. Maybe it was, but as a consolation prize, 
Uh, Alabama fans ended up with Xavier McKinney instead. And one guy is transferring out because he couldn't factor in in Georgia's secondary, who was god-awful this year outside of uh, uh, the Baker kid. And Xavier McKitty's well on his way to being another first-round draft pick at the safety position for Nick Saban. Yeah, he really is. So uh, Alabama uh, having a lot of success. Jeremy Pruitt piggybacking off of that. And, of course, and but, William, uh, to, speaking of Jeremy Pruitt, how big a factor is he going to be with Henry Tioto and uh, that, that's going to be a, a battle for Tosh Lupoi. I mean, certainly a lot of people have been giving Tosh the, uh, the edge there, but uh, uh, you can't assume anything. That's going to be quite a battle in the late signing period, I think. Well, I mean, I think it is, but this could be, a, you know, addition by subtraction with, with them not getting the Kobe Dean. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly there's some other inside linebackers in this class, but, you know, with – with it looking more and more like Mac Wilson's going to come back for one more year, uh, but it's also looking more and more like if Dylan Moses can just duplicate what he did this year after being a um, a Butkus uh, finalist in uh, his first full year of being a starter, he's probably going to test the pro waters. So, you know, you come in, you learn the system for a year, and you could have both, you know, the Mike and the Will positions up for grabs you know, going into spring practice of 2020. So um, that, that could end up, which I think, you know, Alabama's felt like they've been leading for uh, Henry Tototo for quite some time now, probably since the summer. And, uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens. But I think when they get him here in January, um, that official visit will probably seal the deal. You don't see Tosh LePoy uh, lose too many of those West Coast battles with guys that are willing to leave the West Coast. And, uh, you know, you certainly have to, uh, you know, think that it's a, a feather in Alabama's cap that, uh, you know, Tosh LePoy was a superstar there at that De La Salle Concord program. She wasn't even 15 years ago. So um, I think that's probably going to have a happy ending for Alabama. Yeah, I think it will. I mean, obviously, Ismail Sopcher, Henry Tioto are, are two of the big guys they'd, they, uh, they'd really like to add. Uh, and also, uh, they've and they had a they had a pretty good outside linebacker hall. King Makuda he gave us some strong testimony, paying respect to his late mother uh, signing with Alabama. And I know Georgia and Michigan and Tennessee and some other schools made a late run at King. He decided to still sign with early with Alabama. He also made his test score. Still got to be certified and everything. I think they're hoping to get him in in February to still enroll early. But we'll have to see with King Makuda. Also, Kevin Harris is another edge guy from Grayson, Georgia, that I know Alabama was excited to bring in. And, uh, William, uh, those are two good players, and they may add one late with Chris Bogle, who I, I read a report yesterday where some people were saying it would be Miami or Tennessee, but I think Alabama with, uh, you know, well, with uh, uh, Joe Panunzio is definitely in the thick of that situation, and he's going to announce on January the 5th. Yeah, I, I think you'll see Alabama, you know, circle back around with him. Um you know, I think a lot of people have been kind of surprised at the recruiting success. You know, well, I think once they once they saw Mario Cristobal leave and go to Oregon, that they thought that South Florida pipeline um, was going to just dry up and go away. But, but if anything, it's gotten better. Um, you know, with with what Joe Penunzio brought in last year, he you know he was down there. It was kind of a three headed effort. You know, down there at IMG for Evan Neal. You know, you had uh, Mike Loxley, Coach Penunzio, and Tosh Lapoy all. Um, you know, attacking those guys down there. And, uh, you know, he's got a chance. You know, he's got strong, strong connections down there 
um, you know, at the South Florida area with, you know, his time as an assistant at Miami. And, uh, you know, I think the guy's a little bit better of a recruiter than people give him credit for, despite his age. I mean, he knows the game. He knows how it's played, um, you know, relationships, um, you know, with the locals at the high school level in the community are, are a huge, huge factor down there with those kids. So, uh, you know, he's kind of continued that, you know, that South Florida flavor that Mario Cristobal brought to the table when he came to Alabama. And um, yeah, I, I think, you know, you can continue to, uh, you'll, you'll continue to see that, um, you know, kind of flourish as long as uh, you've got a guy that, that knows all the doors to knock on down there like Coach P does. Certainly, and Coach P gets a lot of credit for flipping Jordan Battle. I know uh, he was, uh, according to a great source I have, he told some folks that all he was waiting on was Nick Saban, but he could get Jordan Battle. He could get Braylon Ingraham. He got both of them. And now Chris Bogle. And Bogle, I know, is a guy that, William, when you look at him in his frame, I think he has more upside than a guy like uh, Kayvon Thibodeau who a lot of Alabama fans were upset, went to Oregon. But if they get Chris Bogle, I don't think they're going to miss Mr. Thibodeau. No, and I think, you know, that's that's kind of the way you have to look at this situation. If you're, you know, an Alabama fan, I think that N'Kobe Dean and Kavion Thibodeau might be at their ceiling right now as players, and that remains to be seen. But, um, you know, I think Alabama has a chance to add two guys um, you know, at, at, you know, to replace Nicobe Dean with and Henry Tototo and also Chris Boggle at, uh, you know, the, the Jack linebacker position, you know, and replace Thibodeau that, that both might still have their best football in front of them. Um, you know, Bogle's a guy that just, I mean, when you look at him just from a physical standpoint, he's got, you know, tree vines for arms. You know, that's a, you know, unless you're a guy like Evan Neal that's six foot eight and has that ridiculous wingspan. Um, and you're playing out there on that island at offensive tackle, when you see somebody like that stick their hand in the ground in front of you, you immediately have to be concerned about your hand placement, uh, not only getting it perfect, but getting it quick, because that, that you've automatically got a, uh, you know, a physical disadvantage unless you're a guy like Evan Neal that has the matching wingspan. So uh, I think that would be a huge addition, um, you know, to the late signing period if they could pick up a, a really dynamic edge rusher. Um, you know, like the South Florida standout. No question about that. It's going to be a big battle for Alabama. That's going to be one of the battles to watch in the late signing period. And, they, and William, they had 23 total signees, but I know there's some flexibility in there. There's already uh, a lot of talk about uh, Paul Tyson being free and even some, uh, some uh, late buzz about Will Reichert. Will Reichert, of course, is, I believe, already enrolled and. Uh, and is uh, going to try to win that kicking job from Joe Bulavos. But it does look like that it's definitely going to be possible for Alabama to add five or six in the late period. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I, I, we talk about this all the time, and, and I, you know, I quit trying to figure out the Nick Saban math 10 years ago. And, you know, the best thing that I can tell, you know, Alabama fans is that checkbook doesn't have to balance until August the 1st. Um, you know, he'll, he'll get the pieces in place and shuffle the runs around that, that he thinks need to, you know, kind of take a temporary step aside to make room for some other players. doesn't mean that they're devalued. Um, it just means that he's trying to, you know, perfect roster management 101. Again, nobody's better at that than he is. 
and uh you know it's it's something that we'll we don't have to wait around long to find out i mean it's it's right around the corner um you know once these playoff games get out of the way and you know, you'll see the the emphasis shift back on to shift back on to you know the first wednesday in february when the real national signing day pops up and then william uh, of course uh, in the secondary alabama signs jeffrey carter which i think was a huge flip from mansfield texas former uh commitment to texas a&m Brandon Turnage, who's another uh, all-underrated guy who was committed for such a long time, and they held off Ole Miss to get him from Oxford, Mississippi, a la uh, years ago, Jeffrey Woodall, the same situation. Brandon Turnage coming uh, from Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, And then, of course, they get a couple of nice safeties. DeMarco Hellams from uh, Hyattsville, Maryland, decides not to go to Maryland with Mike Loxley. And then we already talked about Jordan Battle, a great coverage, free safety, it looks like, though, uh, that they're going to want to add one more DB in the late signing period. But it looks like Christian Williams, who you would have thought would have signed early, been committed to Alabama for several months from Daphne High School uh, near Mobile, would have signed early. He did not. He's visited LSU quite a bit. That seems to be one situation where it looks like he may go uh, to another school, likely the purple and gold, and Alabama add another DB uh someone else in the late signing period yeah i mean i think there's two well actually three since you brought up christian williams not signing early certainly that's a a red flag there um also too i would add turnage to you know the list of undervalued players in this Mm -hmm. class you know he was a kid that suffered a torn uh, achilles tendon um, as a junior, I think Alabama kind of took a wait-and-see approach with him to see how he responded uh, this season coming off that bad injury. He responded extremely well. Uh, but there's there's a lot of different names floating around. You know, you hear Marcus Banks. You hear, you know, Noah Pola Gates. Uh, but, you know, the one that really kind of made me pause a little bit was, you know, a day before the uh, early signing period last Wednesday, Nick Saban made a trip down to the Port City and talked a uh, current Mississippi State commitment named DJ James, mm-hmm. um, who's a, a pretty highly rated corner prospect himself, into not signing early with Mississippi State and being patient and waiting to see if Alabama, you know, would possibly have a spot for him in February where they might possibly greenlight him and accept him. So there's there's multiple play- people in play multiple players in play i should say for that that final db spot if in fact they do decide to use it yeah and of course noah pola gates is another one from gilbert arizona but he has some great issues hasn't made his test score so that could open the door further for dj james and william since deciding not to sign with mississippi state uh in the in these last few days since wednesday he's already been offered by mario cristobal at oregon and also by scott frost at nebraska so D.J. James is going to have a lot of options. Auburn supposedly showing some interest as well. So he's going to be a wanted guy in the late signing period. And uh, just uh, from some people I respect that have watched his film, I haven't watched a lot of it yet, uh, but they think that uh, he may have more upside than Christian Williams, and they like him better than Noah Pola Gates. So really looking forward uh, maybe to seeing where that goes, and he could be one of the last commitments in this class as Alabama. As we've said, uh, not counting Paul Tyson, don't be surprised if they bring in 27 or 28. Uh, and, 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 then, uh, and they would have met just about all their needs if that ends up, if you end up adding people 
uh, like a oh, on the D-line, like a Byron Young who's already committed, Ismail Sopcher, and then you get Henry Tioto, uh, and, and then either a Noah Polagates or DJ James. I mean, those guys are big-time players. And then a Chris Bogle. If you add these kind of guys uh, in the late signing period uh, for Alabama, that would be, you know, uh, quite a boon. And uh, uh, and then there'd be some really good players. And this, and I, I would be, uh, I would, I would be safe to say that I think the recruiting class, William, would probably be without a true weakness in it. Well, I still think there's one other, uh, you know, caveat in play here, Drew. Um, sure. I think it probably hinges on. Alabama getting both Byron Young and Ishmael Softshire. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to, February. yes. Um, if, if if they lose one or both of those guys, I think probably what you'll see Nick Saban do is probably not take any of those DBs that we just talked about. And I would certainly say that right now, unless something changes, Pola Gates and Christian Williams are probably the two on the outside looking in at this stage in the game. But if they do miss on, you know, either Young or Sasha or maybe both, I don't think that's really going to happen, but it could. Um, you might see Nick Saban hold that last position, that last spot in the class, and make a run at a grad transfer defensive lineman in the offseason. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I mean, if they could find the right, if the right player. But, of course, if they get both those defensive linemen, it's not as big a need. Uh, because I think everybody believes a guy like Antonio Alfano will be able to play early, um, per- perhaps even Ismail Sopcher to give him some uh, some snaps. Uh, so, uh, you know, and maybe even a Byron Young, who's been completely underrated. I know they're going to have to hold off LSU for him. And then let's not forget, uh, from what I'm hearing, William, to, to kind of book in Trey Sanders, they're still very interested in signing Keelan Robinson. We have to see if Keelan, you know, may want to go back and, and play and stay home and play for Mike Loxley at Maryland. But from what I understand, Alabama wants uh, still is very interested in him and wants to bring him in. They like his big playability, his explosiveness. And because Mike Loxley uh, is not Kirby Freeze, I mean smart, and is very appreciative of where, what Nick Saban did for his coaching career, giving him another shot to be a power five head coach, and really his first chance because before it was New Mexico, but resuscitating his career to allow him to uh, to go back to his uh, you know old stomping grounds at Maryland as head coach, he will not stand in the way of Keelan Robinson signing with Alabama. So Keelan Robinson could be another signee late. Yeah, that's true, and, and I agree with everything that you said. And it, and it is kind of uh, you know, and I know a lot of people, um, you know, last year kind of you know tried to point the finger at, at Jeremy Pruitt when uh, you know he got the Tennessee job and. Uh, God, his, his name escapes me now. What was the linebacker's name that played for uh, Rush Probes last year? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know exactly who you're talking about. He qualified I, late, yeah. J, J.J., I can't remember his J. name. J. J. Peterson, J.J. J. Peterson. J.J., yep. yeah. Um, yep. You know, his grades were such an issue, and, you know, you saw he, he basically got in at the 12th hour for Tennessee this year and never really factored in, never got – um, you know, became a part of the playing rotation at linebacker. He may have played some special teams in the latter part of the year. I don't know, but totally different situation. Um, you know, talk about another guy that would, you know, never do anything to uh, discredit or be disrespectful to Coach Saban, and that's Jeremy Pruitt. But I agree with you. Mike Loxley has handled his departure um, in a first-class manner. I think he played a big, big role in, uh, you know, keeping um, – 
uh, Sanders and Neal in play despite the, the late push from Georgia. And uh, you, you just got to tip your cap to him for, you know, repaying the favor. You know, he was he was flat on his back and in the street, basically, much in the same way that, uh, um, you know, Lane Kiffin was when, when Nick Saban brought him in and rehabbed his career. So it's great to see, you know, you know, grown men that are, you know, getting a bunch of money dumped in their lap, you know, kind of give credit and show appreciation and respect at a professional level uh, to the guy that, let's be honest, they would never be in the positions that they're in, um, you know, without Nick Saban's, you know, stamp on their resume. So that's, that's one of the few, um, you know, nice stories, I guess, that you see in this business, um, you know, is when something like that happens, you know, there's no rumors of, stolen recruiting boards and, you know, poaching, uh, you know, important personnel. You know, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you, Drew, with all the, you know, the rumors, you know, leaking out of Athens, it sounds like uh, unless something changes um, that your buddy uh, Kirby Freeze is probably set to offer the D.C. job to an old Alabama buddy of ours and Derek Ainsley. Huh. And that would be Christmas come early or late when it finally does happen for me because – Despite all the uh, uh, fanfare that Alabama fans gave him, he would be a huge, huge downgrade from Mel Tucker, not only as a defensive coordinator, but also a uh, recruiter. He was a very lazy recruiter while he was in Tuscaloosa. He was personally replaced about two years ago by Nick Saban with the guy that you talked about earlier in the show, um, he was removed as being the lead recruiter from King Matuika and replaced by Tosh Lapoy, even though that wasn't Tosh's territory at the time. So, um, he, in fact, Nick Saban was told uh, by King Matuika's family members that if this guy doesn't disappear, King's going to disappear. Yeah, that's a great point. I do hope he hires uh, Derek Ainsley. I think Ainsley's average, uh, much like Kevin Steele. I know Steele's had some success at Auburn, but he doesn't scare anyone he's got greg brown coaching the secondary at auburn who care and now and they wonder why they get why, why they get penalized so much and why they can't cover a lamp post well that's uh that's uh the reason because of uh you know uh because of greg brown and yeah I, to, I, and i'm gonna be interested to see what nick saban does as far as his staff moves he needs to add a couple of stud recruiters because loxley was a great closer loxley is gone and certainly going forward william it's going to be tougher for Alabama to recruit in that Baltimore, Maryland area. I know, you know, Loxley doesn't have a program like Alabama's, but he knows how to work the uh, the moms and dads. And so certainly uh, the pipeline still may give Alabama a player or two, but it's going to be much tougher. Well, you know, the, the positive side of that story is, is Tosh Lapoy's been recruiting the East Coast. Right. Um, in certain areas, maybe not as the lead recruiter, but we've gotten so many – you know, players from that part of the country over the last couple of years. He does have relationships and a presence up there. Um, you know, now now if he was to disappear after one more year, then, yeah, it, it'd probably be uh, turn out the lights, the party's over. But um, I don't disagree with you on the, you know, a young dynamic recruiter uh, being added to the staff. We'll have to wait and see which side of the ball that materializes on. But, um you know, I just think that, you know, as long as Nick Saban keeps winning, keeps putting people into the NFL, um, you know, I know a lot of people, uh, you know, try and use his age um, as a negative recruiting tactic. But, you know, when those kids get on campus and see him throw the football with him, 
you know, see him jumping off the roof of the damn boathouse at the lake. Um, he's a young, young mid-60s man. Um, hell, he can throw a football better at 66 than I could at 16. So that pisses me off to no end as well. Um, but, you know, I, I just think the program's in great shape. Um, another great recruiting class is about to get wrapped up. And, you know, they've got a chance to do some, some great things once again, just like on every, you know, just at the end of every year about this time over the last 10 years, you know, with Oklahoma looming here in a week and hopefully uh, the national championship game thereafter. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, of course, next week we will hopefully try to come to you and bring you a show uh, after the national championship game. Uh, and I uh, and uh, I knew and, and now before we wrap it up here, we've talked a lot of recruiting today. We do need to give our final thoughts on the Oklahoma matchup. I'll bring Thomas Watts into the conversation first. And uh, Thomas, and we can give our predictions. What are your thoughts? The more that you've looked at this and broke it down of how uh, of, of the of what we may see on uh, Saturday night uh, in Miami, Alabama and Oklahoma. Well, so I need to explain my process real quick to fans that are just getting into the show or just haven't heard, don't understand the baseline of my thinking. My way I analyze games is very mathematics oriented. I look at a ton of statistics. I look at three or four different computer models and I try and get a sense of what those models are saying and why they're saying it. And then in my own head, I come to my own conclusions. And everything I've looked at at this game, I end up feeling like, frankly, the way I felt with the Alabama LSU game this year. Mm -hmm. I felt that it was a bad matchup, Alabama versus LSU. And going into this game against Oklahoma, I feel the same way. And the the big reason is, let, let's get one thing out of the way. The Oklahoma Sooners are going to score on the Alabama Crimson Tide in this game. The Oklahoma offense is too good for Alabama to hold it down for four quarters. That's just impossible. But the problem is, when you look at how Oklahoma has won games... What Oklahoma does is put so much pressure on an opposing offense to score every single drive that that offense can make mistakes, whether it's a sack or a turnover or even a three and out. A lot of what Oklahoma has done has been, okay, we want to make you score every single drive and kind of get you outside of your comfort zone, and then you'll make mistakes. Because our offense is going to score, you know, if they're 13 drives, our offense is going to score 11 of them. I don't really see that for this, this game. The thing about Alabama's defense is they're going to have to be able to get pressure with three or four or potentially sending one as a five-man a five man pressure. Oklahoma's offensive line is very good. But... One of the hallmarks of looking at this Oklahoma team is that Kyler Murray is able to kind of sit in the po- sit in the pocket, make himself a grilled cheese, hit for the cycle. Oh, and then he'll throw a touchdown to a wide receiver. I don't think he's going to be able to do that against this Alabama team. That's just not been one of the things that Alabama's that Alabama has allowed throughout this season. You know, Quinnen Williams is still a monster. Raquan Davis will be healthy. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. 
Isaiah Bugs will be healthy as well. You know, realize he was hurt in the Auburn game, and we don't really, we can't really quantify if that had an effect in the Georgia game. But I'd be willing to bet you have to take that into consideration. So I feel like the Alabama Crimson Tide is going to come in and just do what they do. You know, the problem with Oklahoma is they're going to have to score sixty to give Alabama a good game. But with how awful the Oklahoma defense has been, and Oklahoma's defense is Ole Miss, Arkansas, bad. Teams that Alabama scored 62 and 65 on and could have scored 100 on both of them should they, had they decided to. In that context, I don't think Oklahoma's offense is good enough to score enough to keep Oklahoma in the game. And I think... Should the unthinkable happen and Alabama has to score 70, maybe even like low 80s, which is really outlandish in terms of scoring potential, the Alabama offense can do this because the Alabama offense has been almost as efficient or even more efficient in some cases than the Oklahoma offense. So if called upon, Alabama's offense can score 70 to 80, and it'll be a cold day in hell before this Alab- any Alabama defense coached by Nick Saban and Tosh Lupoy gives up that many points. So I think it's a bad matchup for the Oklahoma Sooners. Um, I think Jalen Hurts, should Tua Tonga-Vailoa's health end up being an issue going into the game, I think Jalen Hurts could pilot this offense to 55 or 60. And because of the problems that Jalen Hurts presents to an offense, Oklahoma wouldn't get 15 or 16 possessions. So... It's just a bad matchup, Drew, and I expect Alabama to cruise, you know, 55 to 35, and I I can tell you, I don't want to say anything about the other game aside from the Clemson Tigers are a great football team, but you're going to hear a lot of talk about how they're just going to walk all over the Notre Dame Fighting Irish in this game in Jerry World. I'm not quite on that bandwagon yet. I think Clemson will win, but the central problem with the Clemson Tigers is that every time they've played a team that is at least close to their orbit talent-wise, they've struggled. Clemson's more talented than Notre Dame, but they're not decisively more talented than Notre Dame. I expect that game will be better than the Bama-Oklahoma game down in Miami. But, you know, I'll kick it back to you guys. Those are just my statistical meanderings, and uh, it's going to be a fun game no matter what, Drew. And, William, I'd like to get your thoughts quickly uh, on Alabama and Oklahoma. And I know you like the Tide, but how do you see it playing out? Well, you know, I I guess I'm going to sit here and play devil's advocate for a minute. Now, I certainly agree with everything that Thomas said to to a certain extent except for – and, and, you know, this could be the fact that, you know, Tua was hurt. They played Mississippi State and Auburn and Georgia. Um, got off the, you know, some, some you know, sluggish, slow starts against Auburn and Georgia. I, I do think Alabama has the potential to win this thing going away. But they can't afford to start this game off the way that they did their last two. Agreed. Um, now, they're, they're going to be rested. Everybody should be, you know, close to 100%. Um, and I certainly do think they have the potential to, you know, win by double digits against Oklahoma. But, you know, I still have that in the back of my mind as to, 
you know, just how out of sorts and discombobulated they've looked in the first half of their last two ball games. And to, to me, albeit I'll give the other team credit for contributing to some of those bad starts, but in my mind, based on watching the game multiple times, those slow starts were self-inflicted. Um, you know, I, I do think having a healthy Isaiah Bugs back is going to make a big difference in this game. Um, that was a nasty hyper extension that he suffered against Auburn. And, and you know, I'll, I'll take it one step. You know, Thomas didn't want to say he was still hurt. I can promise you he was still hurt. Um, so, you know, I, I certainly can – and I, I'm not disagreeing with anything that Thomas said, but I've just got a little bit of uh, – I guess I'm just a little bit gun-shy until I see that offense come back out and click you know, if in fact Oklahoma, and statistically Thomas is right, they do appear on paper to be as bad as the Arkansas and the Missouris and the old Misses of the world, um, then this game won't be close. But if Alabama comes out and dicks around and, you know, Tua slings another 40%, you know, completion game together with multiple interceptions, then I don't see it happening that way. So I'm I'm hopeful that you see the – September and October Alabama offense um, against a, you know, uh, paper tiger on defense that is the Oklahoma defense. Um, and, again, I think you'll see Alabama probably either use Mac Wilson or uh, Dylan Moses to spy Kyler Murray. Um, Oklahoma, and I think this is really ingenious. Um, if you haven't watched any of their games this year, their offensive linemen, um, take three to three-and-a-half-yard splits. And, you know, what they're doing with that is they're trying to spread the front seven out to create running lanes for Murray when the pocket does break down or on design quarterback runs. So I think that's something, you know, that you have to keep in mind as well. This isn't a game where, uh, but, you know, that isn't Jake Fromm back there. That's not a statue um, standing back there in the pocket. So they've got to be, you know, gap control and pass rush lane conscious. Um, but, but, you know, if everything goes as planned, if, if they, you know, perform at a halfway normal level, you know, I agree with Thomas. I think this uh, this game could get away from Oklahoma. Because like Thomas said, I don't think if there's 15 drives, um, I'll be shocked if Oklahoma could put points on the boards more than nine or ten of those drives. And do you like Clemson over Notre Dame? You know, Drew, I have not seen Notre Dame play a game all year. Um, I've seen Clemson play a lot right. both prior to the insertion of Trevor Lawrence at, at quarterback and, and before that. And they're a different team um, with him at quarterback than what they were with Kelly Bryant. Um, you know, he's certainly not a threat to run. Um, he's a big target if he does decide to run at 6'4", six, 6'5", six, whatever he is. Um, so, I, you know, I really don't have a good feel for that game. I'm interested to see it because I have felt like for the last two years, um, despite all of the, you know, NFL draft hype that you see for that defensive line Clemson has, I mean, outside mm -hmm. of it showing up in statistics as pass rushers, you know, they're very good pass rushers, but they're very susceptible um, versus the run. Uh, I don't even think they're in the top 20 in run defense. And, um, you know, you saw Alabama had some success against them last year without the threat of a downfield passing attack in that game. So I, I just don't know if 
Notre Dame can can score enough points to keep pace. I don't really know how good Notre Dame's defense is, um, so I'm I'm kind of gonna you know take a take a pass on that one because I I just don't know. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna give my thoughts and uh, quickly. I do think Clemson will beat Notre Dame. I do think it'll be closer than the people think. I think Notre Dame will play them off their feet, uh, but I, I would take Clemson probably. Uh, 31-24, something, something around there. I think they'll find a way to advance. And I do like Alabama over Oklahoma. I expect Alabama to come out with a, a game plan similar to LSU and bloody their nose. I mean, I've been hearing good things about, you know, preparation uh, as far as for, from Tua's rehab and then also uh, from LeBron Ray and progress, Najee Harris. And I do think that Josh Jacobs is going to be super motivated to play against uh, the school that he decided not to go to. Uh, he and his dad not big fans. They were not big fans of Bob Stoops, but he's going to want to show out against Oklahoma. I think Alabama can rush for 250-plus yards on this group, control the clock, keep Murray off the field. Now, they're still going to score, but I think that Alabama can win this game somewhere along the lines of 49 uh, to 24, somewhere around there. I just think Alabama can pull away in the second half and dominate this game, and Tua can complement that running game. Uh, certainly, I think uh, he will play much better than he did against Georgia and be back to his old self, and I don't think that uh, they'll have too many weapons. Now, certainly, uh, Oklahoma is very talented on offense. We understand that completely. I mean, uh, Trey Sermon uh, has had a great year running the ball. Kennedy Brooks, the true freshman, over 1,000 yards. Murray's legs, and then they've got Marquise Brown, CeeDee Lamb, and Grant Calcaterra, and a great offensive line. But I do think they haven't played a defense near Alabama's. I think Alabama's going to have something to prove, and I think they can contain, not completely stop because they're elite, I think they can contain Oklahoma enough to win the game around 49-24 in uh, advance to the national championship game with a chance uh, to go 15-0. and Of course, no matter who they face, whether it be a uh, it could be a 14-0 Clemson or a 13-0 Notre Dame, it'll be a battle of unbeatens. But I do expect Alabama to uh, to to advance and win and uh, and get to the national championship game uh, and finally get that monkey off their back. I know they haven't beaten Oklahoma since Nick Saban was at Alabama, but this is the first time they played in the playoff, and I think Alabama is going to be more than up to the challenge, no doubt about it. And Jalen Waddell could provide also a big-time spark in the return aspect as well. But just wanted to give our quick picks right there, and we will hopefully bring you a uh, a wrap-up show as far as an analysis of the college football playoff semifinals and then a preview of what we what we are thinking could be a national championship showdown with Alabama and either Clemson or Notre Dame. We hope to do that next week. We want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, uh, and, they ha- and, uh, and uh, we, uh, we enjoy all of our listeners. We really appreciate the support and the way BAMS Radio has been growing. We hope uh, you'll get a chance to be with your family and have a lot of fellowship and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, a lot of great uh, quality time together. Uh, we wanted to bring you this show a couple of days before Christmas and kind of wrap recruiting and then preview uh, the national semifinal against Oklahoma. But we appreciate all the support. Uh, again, uh, BAMS Radio wouldn't be, would not be able to grow and be what it is without our listeners. But I want to thank Thomas Watts for putting this together, the Wizard, and, of course, William Redfish Barger for taking time away from his family to join us. But good night, everyone. Merry Christmas and Roll Tide. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases necessary. Over by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.